Welcome to the Legendary Upside Podcast. My name is Pat Corain. You can follow all of my content at legendaryupside.com. With me today, Pete Overzet of pretty much everything, uh, but <laughs> Pete Overzet YouTube channel, The Deposit Kingdom. Uh, you can do a ton of stuff for Fantasy Life. You're uh, a thought leader at Underdog. And of course, we do ship chasing together. <laughs> Yeah, in a, in a few different spots, in a few different spots, but excited to make the debut on the uh, the new digs. I like the uh, I like what I see around here. It's looking nice. <laughs> All right. Um, so this episode is going to be uh, maybe a little bit more like uh, on schedule than some of our other episodes. <laughs> uh, a little bit more of a structure to it. We're going to try to go through and do like sort of a best ball one hundred and one type of episode. Um, and to do this, I figured like we would just go through a draft because, you know, we talk a lot about strategies and tactics and everything, but like none of them are a must. You know, there's always a bunch of different options to do in any given draft. So I figured we talk through like, you know, OK, it's round one. What are you what are kind of our thought process for that? So we're let's go ahead and dive into that. And uh, yeah, we'll just go through like an entire draft that way. Um, my thoughts, Pete, on, on round one are kind of you do whatever you want. Uh, there's yeah. no like you just take the player you want to take and then you then it's going to change a ton of things from that point forward. But, you know, in round one, you really don't have any sort of hard and fast rules. Yeah, I'm the same way. And, you know, we've had in previous years where some of those like dead zone running backs, I remember the year what Kenyon Drake was going at the one two turn. And it's like, I'm not clicking that. But this year, I look at all the players going in round one and I want shares of all these guys. There's not a single guy in round one that's a full fade for me. Yeah, that's a that's a really sharp point. Like some years and probably like three or four years ago, maybe we would have felt like, you know, there's guys in round one that just shouldn't be here. Um, but I don't feel that way at all. Um, so, yeah, I, I want I want to have exposure. The thing is, though, once you take a, a running back or wide receiver or Travis Kelsey in round one, then the whole rest of your draft has changed. So, you know, in some ways, I would say make sure you're, you're mixing it up to some extent because you if all of these guys belong around one, then you don't want to be like dramatically underweight any of them. Unless, I mean, maybe you disagree, but I would be thinking through that, the diversification angle. But you get into round two, and now what you've done in round one has a huge impact. What you do in round two, though, is still pretty open because if you take running back, running back, running back starts are totally viable. You know, you can take another running back. Um, there's no real second tight end you would take. Obviously, you're not going to go tight end, tight end. Uh, but really, you know, everything's available to you. So, where your where's your head at in round two generally? Yeah, and I you know it is definitely different from last year because last year we didn't have any quarterbacks going in the second round. And I would do this thing and I would talk about it on on my channel where I said I think you could let ADP pick your first three rounds, mm -hmm. just whatever best available pick is there, and you could build a really really good logical team from that point on. I'm a little hesitant to say you could do that this year because I do think if you auto drafted like an unstacked you know, Mahomes or something like I would prefer to probably have him with Kelsey. Not that that's bad. Not that you couldn't recover from it, but it does just give me slightly more pause this year, knowing that there are those three quarterbacks up there. And if you're in a really sharp draft room and you're letting it auto draft it with this hypothetical, you will end up with a quarterback most times. And I would prefer to be underweight on second round quarterbacks this year. Why is your, your, uh, your lean to go underweight these elites? So I think there is a big opportunity cost at wide receivers in the second round, you know, after Lamb and Garrett Wilson and Amon Ra and Jalen Waddell and Olave come off the board, obviously Higgins and Metcalf. I feel like 
and Devontas, if, if I'm naming them all off. And then it does feel like once you're down to the Debo Samuel, Amari Cooper, I feel that tier gap. And so when I start to do like the two V twos and looking at quarterbacks later in the draft, I do just find that it's a lot of capital to devote to those guys. And I was talking about this on my stream this morning. I'm not going to be, have 0% of all these guys. You know, I took Jalen hurts with an AJ Brown team this morning. I'm going to have my shares, but in general, I think about like market movements and I feel like tight end as another onesie is a good example of this, where we were drafting George Kittle and Darren Waller at the two, three turn um, two years ago. And then they kind of burned people. And then the prices came back to palatable price points. And then Kittle really smashed that ADP down the stretch last year. I feel the same thing with quarterbacks. Like they smashed at reasonable price tags and now they're vaulted up to a very efficient price. Like they could definitely pay that off, but is Jalen hurts going to be a first round pick next year? I don't know how he could perform at a level that would warrant that. And so if I'm always thinking through that lens of like, who are the guys that can really smash ADP? I just don't know if the second round quarterbacks are the way to get, you know, really good, you know, closing line value. Yeah. I've been thinking through that similarly where it's like, they probably are overpriced relative to like trying to hit ceiling outcomes. Um, but at the same time, like, do I, <laughs> do I want to be completely underweight in a portfolio Mahomes, Allen and, Hurts, and I'm actually going to have something on Legendary Upside pretty soon about, I think, a, a potential way to attack these early-round quarterbacks. I think you have to have some, um, but generally I think being underweight, is, like being somewhat underweight is still my lean, um, especially because Anthony Richardson is not yet going in the second round. Now, maybe give it a month, you know. By the time this publishes, Pat, be careful. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We are pre-recording this. Uh, an hour or two from now, he might be in the second. Uh, but, you know, you got Lamar Jackson still in the third. Um, all of these counter arguments are starting to go away because like uh, Richardson's price is coming up a lot. And Lamar Jackson isn't available in like the four or five area anymore because he signed his, he's signed his new contract. So in the pre NFL draft period, I was especially reluctant and I basically full faded. I, I'm sure I have a, a share or two of the elites, but as the overall quarterback pricing kind of, pulls up any of these guys with ceiling I'm, I'm a more okay with it and in general i would say in these early rounds of best ball drafts it's probably good to like recognize the fact that the market has been very good at pricing quarterback ceiling and so that you know that's even when we get down to like herbert feels a bit pricey in some ways but i mean the guy does have a ceiling especially with the new offensive coordinator an added first round weapon and so in general two quarterback builds have been very strong and even if you're going to go slightly underweight these elites, I wouldn't, I wouldn't overdo it. Yeah. And I, that is the counterpoint to me being underweight. The second round guys is man, there is basically no upside to be found in the mid late mid and late rounds of drafts right now. Like last year you could get Tua in the 12th and 13th. You could get Justin Fields there. You know, there were guys that Daniel had Jones reasonable- in the 14th. Daniel Jones. Yeah. This year I look at the board and there's guys I like, like, look, I take Kenny Pickett, you know, there's, but I'm not, you know, coming into this naive about what Kenny Pickett's upside is, whereas that was well within the range of outcomes for Justin Fields. People said, Hey, he might suck as a passer, but he might run a lot, which is exactly what happened. I look at the profiles of those late round quarterbacks and I don't see it at all as far as guys who could threaten to be a top five or top six quarterback option. So as the summer progresses, if I find myself way too heavy on like three QB builds and stuff like that, I might just have to force myself, get up into the Lamar and Fields tier, you know, plug my nose and take some Anthony Richardson at pick 60. Like I might just have to capitulate. 
So if you've taken one of these early round quarterbacks, I mean, my feeling is like it's time to to stack that team up. And I would be going with, you know, I, when I've taken Mahomes, yeah, obviously you hope you have Kelsey. You take Tony, even though I don't love Tony. You know, you can get Rasheed Rice, you can get Sky Moore, you can get Marcus Valdez Scanlon. But I also, you know, Jarek McKinnon, Isaiah Pacheco, like, and and the same with the Eagles. You know, I like tacking on the Eagles running backs to my Hurts stuff. I think you're you're betting on that team to absolutely crush. I think you're also potentially, you know, betting on, you know, they just absolutely smash someone in one of the playoff weeks or in the final, and everybody eats in that game. Um, so I've been more interested especially just because of like the overall cost and like just betting on that offense to be an absolute powerhouse to you know potentially maybe like what some people would consider overstacking those teams yeah it's uh it's such a hard thing because i went through that this morning when i took my first jalen hurts share i stacked him with aj brown but obviously i'm making such a massive bet on the eagles i want to continue to prioritize eagles and i was sitting there at pick 56 i'm looking at dallas goddard's adp he has an adp like eight or nine spots from this i pick in like five or six i'm like i'm just gonna push it i'm gonna try to sneak in brandon Ayuk here and grab dallas goddard coming back of course dallas goddard goes like six picks ahead of adp and so i'm always weighing that do i try to like build a super team around this sneak in some extra guys or do i say hey the correlation boost boost is worth enough to just kind of reach around every single time to nail these guys and I, I struggle with it i did end up getting deandre swift you know 14 picks past adp as part of my eagles bet which felt good but nice. i do wrestle with that idea of like man this bet is already so massive based on these first two round picks maybe i need to keep pushing it all right so we are still in round uh round two let's say yeah. we passed on a quarterback um yeah. And what, what I've noticed here, you know, a lot of people pointed this out, is that, you know, the round two, three, particularly, let's say we drafted early. Let's say, you know, we drafted Justin Jefferson at the 101, you know, um, or maybe let's say we drafted Tyree Kill at like the 104 or five. There is going to be this uh, 2v2 that we're looking at from that kind of like four or five spot where, there's probably like one of the tail end of the wide receivers in the second round. Um, but there also will be a wide receiver available to us in the third round if we want to grab one of these running backs. But the running back that is available right now in the third round is like not the typical running back available in the third round from years past. It's a it's a higher quality cut of running back than we, we've generally found. And that's made these like the two, three area of the draft to me is like kind of a two V two question now you could obviously go running back running back and i've done that you know i think that's a pretty viable strategy right now wide receiver running back running back something like that um but i also want to think through if i'm only grabbing one of the running backs and i go like wide receiver and then either wide receiver or running back in round two and then flip it so that i end with one running back and two wide receivers after the first three rounds i really want to think through that that 2v2 there yeah i'm with you and i do think just like you know how we always have like our favorite pockets of the draft or the constructions that feel the best. Like right now to me, the construction that feels best is you have like an early to mid round one draft slot and you get your elite wide receiver. Say it's like the Tyree kill or Cooper cup or even Jamar chase. And then you come back and you get two of these running backs who are, have the upside to be, dare I say, legendary running back. So you grab both Tony Pollard and Ramondre. And so you're starting with like Jamar chase, Pretty Tony nice. Pollard, Ramondre. And that's completely viable based on, 
ADP. Like that to me feels the most cozy. And so then you're starting to look at, all right, what are the deviations around that? Because sometimes if you're picking at say like pick eight, like Ramondre will come off the board. And this happened in my draft this morning, Josh Jacobs, Brees Hall, Derek Henry, Pollard, Ramondre all off the board. And then you're down into, do you, do you pull the trigger on Travis Etienne? Do you reach for Jameer Gibbs? Who's now streaming up draft boards where it, that construct, it could be the same construction, but it just does not feel like Travis Etienne has that legendary upside in the way those other guys we just mentioned do. And so it does still feel very spot specific on how you're able to execute that. Yeah. And so we're already kind of getting into like constructions, you know, like, you know, running back, running back starts or a version of that, you know, wide receiver, running back, running back. Um, and I think it would, it's important to recognize like all these constructions, you know, are kind of built around like what the market has generally priced things at. And so like there's a big difference if you're going wide receiver, running back, running back. And, and so right now I'm probably treating that pretty similarly to a running back, running back start because I'm getting like Tony Pollard and Ramondre Stevenson that feels like the kind of values that I might be able to get. Like that's like a 112, 201 type of value in like a 2020 room, maybe, you know? So that to me is like, I'm getting, I'm just, I'm going to build, like I drafted running backs in the first two rounds, essentially in terms of how much draft capital and how much priority I'm going to spend at the, at the running back position going forward. But if you grab, I mean, I think Travis Etienne's fine, but like yeah. I don't, or Jameer Gibbs. Jameer Gibbs is a better example. If you go, um, if you go uh, Tyree Kill, Tony Pollard, Jameer Gibbs, then I think that's a mistake to go. You can't treat that like it's a running back, running back start because Jameer Gibbs is not you know kind of a two hundred one type of bet in really any ADP uh, over the last like ten years. And I I really think like kind of what you're starting to discuss there is one of maybe the like final frontiers of like structural edges, because we talk a lot about how a lot of the structure stuff, we read uh, Leone's best ball manifesto. We have a couple years of advance rate data. We are getting kind of close to just optimal construction. And yet I think the ways you really push it and you get an edge is you draft within those optimal confines, but you're not taking those players where most drafters are getting to those structures. So like you said, like say if you're taking your anchor running back with um, Christian McCaffrey, well, everyone knows to do that. But what if your anchor running back is Josh Jacobs in round three? And then you still punt running back two until like the ninth round as if you would with a CMC build. And same thing with like elite quarterback. Like if you're taking Anthony Richardson, like in the sixth round, like play him as an elite double QB and you're punting your QB too, because you're already making this bet. And obviously it's a thinner bet. If it was a better bet, he'd be going in round two. But I do think this idea of living within the tried and true structures, but really pushing the archetypes within those might be a way to build really unique, strong teams. So we're uh, just under 15 minutes into best ball one-on-one and uh, I've already brought up the final frontier of drafting. So (laughs) this isn't what I, what we promised. Yeah. But, but okay. So let's, let's back up then and talk about, what these tried and true structures are like you, you had a great video last year on all sort of the viable running back constructions. You mentioned there, if you're taking CMC in the first round, a very early first round pick uh, you're going to be pushing your running back to selection. You're probably going to be limiting the total amount of running backs you take to five, maybe even four, depending on how many running backs uh, you take early. So uh, can you just kind of quickly run through, what those tried and true strategies are. Yeah, I think 
you know, the big ones that you'll hear people talking about, you know, for running back zero RB, which is generally, you know, taking your first running back, you know, people debate whether it's after round four, round five. I think I generally like to do after round five. Um, you got the anchor RB, which would be just one um, top running back in a couple of rounds. I'm being kind of malleable with these definitions because everyone argues them, but it's just like directionally, this is what it means. And then like a hyper fragile build would be three running backs before round four or round five, where you're investing significant capital in them. But the one theme about all of these is it's quantity or quality not both. So if you're drafting three running backs early, that's great, but you're taking your feet off the gas and you're probably stopping at max five running backs, maybe four, if you use all three of your early ones and then vice versa with a zero RB build, you're going to have poor quality running backs. So you're going to have to make up for that with quantity later in the draft, hammering them in the ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th round, etc. Um, So those are the ones for running backs. And then, you know, the quarterback one, I think is going to be a big conversation topic this year, elite quarterback or punt quarterback with three um, mid to late round quarterbacks like you did with your winning team last year. And then tight end is generally the other one that gets lumped into these structures, um, elite tight end or kind of a punt tight end there. And then wide receiver is kind of the one position that I do really feel is almost devoid of the structure conversation because you need firepower at wide receiver, regardless of which format. I was looking at both your lineup and King Capital, who won the regular season. And despite starting your drafts completely different from a running back perspective, you still both had five wide receivers before round 10. And I've been kind of just using that as a very loose heuristic to know, hey, am I getting enough wide receiver firepower through 10 rounds? And if you're under five by 10, you probably want to look at things and be like, how am I going to to make up for this? And, And quickly, probably. Yeah, I think four by uh, before round 10 is probably like your minimum. Like you should really strive to hit four. And then if you haven't hit five, um, you should be looking to address that in the next pocket of the draft. So um, because wide receivers will get there, but wide receivers tended to sort of fall off pretty quickly after that. Um, But yeah, let's let's talk the the next sort of pocket of the draft, which would be kind of the the classic like dead zone. Uh, you know, Ben Gretsch's running back dead zone where you're looking at like rounds four through six and uh, or maybe even just four through five, given the way ADP is starting to shake out right now. But uh, regardless of exactly, you know, how, how you define this range of the draft, this has normally been a pretty good place to avoid running backs. There are almost almost like aren't running backs available yeah. in these rounds because everyone agrees. And I think the it's the market's getting sharper you're kind of looking for running backs with upside in those early rounds and you know you can you can skip them entirely that's totally viable go zero running back you can get one you can get two you can even get three although I, that it seems to me that that's a harder thing to do given some of the ADP uh issues that we'll talk through here soon but you can do that and then generally it's not a great move to be selecting running backs in this range, um, pretty much all the strategies are, are kind of built around avoiding this to some degree. Yeah. And it is crazy how much the market is respecting the concept of the dead zone, because like you said, there will be drafts you'll do in best ball mania where a single running back won't go in the fourth round. Um, today in a couple of my drafts, I'm looking right now in the fourth and fifth round, you had Kenneth Walker, Najee Harris, uh, go in the fourth. And then you had Dalvin cook, Miles Sanders and Aaron Jones go in the fifth. Um, I kind of like Kenneth Walker at those prices at pick 47, but like Najee, Aaron Jones, Miles Sanders, Dalvin Cook, I guess at those prices, those Miles Sanders feels like maybe the poster boy 
for a, yes. the dead zone running back this year. But normally we have like six or seven of those poster boys. Um, and this year we just don't because drafters are so cognizant of it. They're prioritizing the tight ends and the wide receivers in that range. And so I do think it brings up some interesting conversations because again, not to fast forward us to rounds six and seven, but those are typically dead zone running backs. And now you're getting them almost at zero RB prices. Right. Yeah. And that makes it a, a much more interesting conversation, a much harder decision. Um, Josh Jacobs last year kind of emerging from that same range as an absolute smash. So, you know, if a guy's priced at a fourth round pick and he's got a lot of risk, if he drops two, maybe even three rounds, it changes the, the bet considerably. But, you know, in general, I think the guys being priced here with Gibbs moving up, like Gibbs is someone kind of in the dead zone that I think was sort of an exception to it. Um now they kind of do feel kind of like classic dead zone backs to me. I would even include Walker in that, given that he's he doesn't really catch passes and he just had a guy get drafted in the second round. But certainly, like if Walker were to be in the fifth round, I would I would take him. But well, um, it, yeah, it's and it's so funny because so on my channel, Pat and I drafted um, two teams on opening night of Best Ball Mania on the Saturday when it was opened, and we took Jameer Gibbs in the late fifth. And we were kind of joking around. And I said, Sean had a line in one of his pieces, Sean Siegel saying, you know, Jameer Gibbs shouldn't escape the third round of your best ball drafts. So we we're like, all right, Sean, pump the brakes. Let us get a few shares here. He's already in the third round. Like He's already there. that, that time for Jameer Gibbs there, like the market gets efficient so fast. Now it, it really makes your head spin. Like I had a gap where I didn't draft from Friday to Monday because I'm only drafting on stream. And like the ADPs have like moved like a round and a half on some of these guys. It's nuts. Yeah, let's see. So Pete's going to be streaming all 150 of his drafts. So make sure you're, you're checking out his YouTube channel. Um, also, like, thank you for doing this and not drafting. It's a, it's yeah. a pretty, what a gift to get a stream with Pete where, we, where there isn't a draft. No, I mean, I still like the changes of pace. Like, like you said, I'm working on that video anatomy of a million dollar lineup. And so like, even for my own sanity, I need it. But I, I have found like, cause over the weekend, I'm like, oh, it'd be nice to draft a best ball mania team. So I do really, really look forward to drafting on stream now because nice. it's my time to, to scratch that itch. I love it. Um, all right. Well, we're still in rounds four and five, and this is kind of like the last call usually for elite tight end, but let's, let's expand that to round six this year. Um, because we're seeing guys like Kyle Pitts and, uh, you know, George Kittle's usually like kind of early round five, but he will fall a little bit. Dallas Goddard, I think guys that have typically fit sort of what we're looking for in the elite tight end mold. I'm going to be writing about elite tight end soon on Legendary Upside because uh, it, it it's odd to me how the market has reacted. You mentioned that tight ends were priced up a couple years ago. They disappoint, they fall. Then they were cheaper last year. They crushed elite tight ends crushed and now they're cheaper than last year. So it's, yeah. it's bizarre to me. And you know, what's funny though? I don't, I agree with you, but I don't think the market, if you, if you pulled the market and said, did elite tight ends crush last year, you know, everyone would say, well, Travis Kelsey did. And a lot of people just have selective memory on like what George Kittle did down the stretch and what some of these guys did, because, you know, George Kittle was a little frustrating um, in the oh, regular yeah. season, but he was like a playoff like hammer, uh, as you know, with your, with your lineup there. And so I do think it is interesting, the kind of recency bias with how these are being treated as an asset. Whereas the market's like, no, we get it. Uh, elite quarterback, like you need one of those, like, and we're going to chase these guys up the board, but everyone just shrugs their shoulders at Dallas Goddard, who was a monster down the stretch Kittle, even Pitts, who like, I, you know, we can do the Pitts thing to me. It's just like, 
ask yourself a question. Does this tight end have the ability to put up 25 plus points in a given week? And if the answer is yes to that, he can give you a massive positional edge in the fantasy playoffs. And like, I think you're letting emotion get the best of you. If you deny that Kyle Pitts doesn't have that upside still. That's exactly the question to ask. And I think you get these tight ends in this, you know, four or five range where like, they're not Kelsey. They're not going to absolutely crush. They're not Andrews where we have, uh, you know, pretty strong confidence that he's going to be the top, that he's going to be the target leader on his own team. Um, but even Andrews is available in the third. So he's not like priced up where you would normally expect. But this is kind of last call for the guys who can reasonably not just do it once, not just like, oh, he catches two touchdowns in the right week, but like Kittle did, put together two consecutive weeks that power teams into the finals. And Kittle last year was the second highest owned player in the best ball mania finals after Justin Jefferson. The fact that he had two consecutive weeks at tight end was absolutely massive. And yeah, they came at the right time, but the only other tight ends to have more than one true spike week. So I, I looked at 20 plus half point PPR points per game for this. The only other tight ends to do that were Mark Andrews and Travis Kelsey last year. Kittle did it three times total. Those other guys also did it three times. So of the 22 weeks, that we saw 22 spike weeks last year from tight ends at that level. Nine of them came from those three tight ends. That's 41% came from those three guys. So I think last year was elite tight end making a statement and people seem to have missed that statement. So uh, that would be as, as we sit here today, probably if you're sitting in round five, consider the tight end because I think they're underpriced sometimes, like maybe by as much as a round relative to, you know, what we would have, thought of maybe a, a year or two ago probably two years yeah, ago. yeah i think people just get in our myself included we we love like narratives and we love like pattern matching things like we love bucketing everything together saying all tight ends except travis kelsey suck like that's a narrative that even myself have said but it doesn't change the fact about the positional advantage certain these guys who have the right profile can give you and so i think you kind of have to pull back from some of those narratives and make sure like am i actually approaching this on a case-by-case -case basis. We all agree that there is a cliff after Travis Kelsey, but that cliff is more in consistency of production, not single right. game ceiling. Yeah, and I would think, okay, so we've talked about structure here. You know, some of these structures are more likely to help you advance, and some of these structures are maybe more likely to help you um, win in the playoffs. And tight end is a lever where if you're taking a tight end early, it's primarily, especially if it's, it's more of around four or five tight end, it's it's primarily going to be the type of strategy where you're hoping that the guy goes off in the playoffs and it's just powering you through. And therefore I think it probably pairs better with something like a hero running back rather than a zero running back, you know, because you're, it's a little bit, a zero running back strategy traditionally has not had quite as high of advance rates because you're not scoring as many points out of the gate at running back. Um, you might want to pair it. I think it's kind of interesting to pair elite tight end with elite quarterback. If you can figure out yeah. some interesting ways to do it, which is one of the things I'm going to be writing about. Um, and the reason I think that's interesting is because these elite quarterbacks have had incredible advance rates when they hit. Now, this is a bit of a higher price to pay than we've traditionally paid. But when these guys are just like, you know, one of the two or three quarterbacks that you desperately want to have, they're going to power your advance rate. So if you go with the elite tight end, just keep in mind, you're not really doing it as an advance rate strategy. It's more 
get me to the finals once I've advanced. Yeah. And it, it also works too, because some people say, well, like, you know, what if these guys like bus, what if they don't do that much? I mean, Pat, who was your other tight end with George Kittle on that team? Mike, Mike Gesicki. Gesicki, right? right? Right. It's not like Mike Gesicki crushed last year either. It shows you it's, it's the similar logic that we used to have in managed leagues for season long. We've talked about this with our FFPC drafts. It's like you take the biggest cut possible at quarterback because the safety net for you on the waiver wire at quarterback is always there. There's always going to be a Derek Carr type for you. It's almost like a similar logic for tight end. Take a big cut at tight end because guess what? The field is only lapping you with like one guy. You know, your Gasecki is going to probably be able to rival even the, you know, the guys going in the 11th and 12th round, the Chiga Conquos that people are spending picks on. It's like, might as well take the biggest possible cut because you're still just going to be middle of the pack, even if you whiff. Exactly. And like Dalton Schultz, Last year was the guy you needed in week 17, except he was only on 4% of teams in the best ball mania final. And he, he wasn't on enough teams, you know? So he wasn't actually the guy you needed um, because basically you didn't need anybody in week, in the week 17 at, at tight end. Um, and that's, that's fine because, you know, the guy, you know, Kittle got you there in the first place or, or Kelsey got you to the point where other guys got you there. So I think to some extent, like the randomness is sort of a feature, not a bug of, uh, the elite tight end position. Like if the position as a whole was stronger, I think elite tight end might be a worse strategy. And and don't you think maybe you could view the conversation of tight ends almost through the lens of, you know, regular season versus playoff stuff where it's like, if you just wanted to talk to me about weeks one through 14, I might tell you, yeah, just, just fade these guys in like the fifth or sixth round. If you're just trying to build the yeah. best regular season team, but if you were trying to get to the top of your group in three different uncorrelated tournaments in 15, 16, and 17, I mean, you're going to need an elite tight end at one of those spots. It sure feels like. Yeah, that's, that's exactly how I think of it. Like maybe like, like Kelsey Andrews or bust would probably be like my advice um, this year for that. Uh, if you were just trying to take down like a regular season tournament. Um, although I will say the drafters uh, winning lineup last year had Kittle and Engram. It did not okay. have Kelsey. Yeah. Yeah. The King Caps team, which won the regular season uh, million dollars, uh, did have Kelsey. So there's but and Kittle Ingram. wasn't just a playoff guy and Ingram. Yeah. So yeah. there you go. So Ingram was actually the guy I needed. Um, but yeah, it wasn't Kittle wasn't just a playoff hammer. He was a, a, a total points hammer as well uh, because those spike weeks are really hard to replace. And he had three of them. Uh, let's get back to wide receiver here because in rounds kind of four through nine, prime territory to make sure you're you're at where you need to be at wide receiver. You have, I think, a lot more flexibility in this part of the draft about exactly where you take these wide receivers. But what you don't want to do is get distracted and realize you only have three of them after round nine. And I think that at that point, at least based on the last couple of years, you're at a real disadvantage, even in half point PPR. Yeah. I agree with you completely. And I will say I was looking at some of my draft boards and I'm like, if you're in one of my streamed rooms or a ship chasing stream room, it's actually round eight where it dries up. But in some of these, you could get the Rashad Batemans and Cortland Sutton's kicking around in round nine. But yeah, I feel this massive gap. Like once it's, I'm looking at the names, Cortland Sutton, Zay Flowers, Jamison Williams, Jahan Dotson, Quentin Johnston, Rashad Bateman, Michael Thomas. After that, you're right into the Juju, Odell, Elijah Moore, Lazard, Mooney tier. Like that feels like a monster cliff to me. And if I don't have at least four through those names before the cliff, I feel like I'm in so much trouble. Yeah. And the thing is you have three wide receiver spots to fill and you have a flex to fill. And so I think 
one of the things that you know best ball uh, the best ball manifesto pointed out um and mike leone uh has also i believe talked about it on the podcast that we did is that you know if you just look at the draft capital spend based on just how many roster spots you have to fill drafters have traditionally underspent at wide receiver and then what he looked at in terms of last year's results is like even if you spent kind of at those levels it still wasn't an advantage to cap the wide receiver spending basically more wide receiver spending the better almost um you know to to a point i imagine uh last year but that's that's just last year's results and so you know we i think as people who like drafting wide receivers would readily admit last year was a very good year for wide receiver heavy drafts they won't all be like that but still if drafters are kind of traditionally underspending at the wide receiver position even in half point ppr uh you want to make sure that you are not doing that because you got to fill those three spots every week plus there's a flex yeah, and I do think by running backs as well, but you know it helps to have firepower. Yeah, it it does, and I I do think too. Again, we go back through, we use these general heuristics and kind of structural things, but then we are trying to map that on to the current landscape. In the same way, we might be making a shift with third round running backs. Traditionally, there weren't that many good running backs in the third round. That's different this year. You know, the zero RB, you know, having ripe picks in like the sixth and seventh round, that wasn't always the case too. And now this kind of wide receiver dead zone, you know, in previous years, like you were able to get like Jalen Waddle in like the ninth, late ninth round for a long time. Like I'm looking at this board this year and I don't know as Quentin Johnston and Zay Flowers move up, I'm like, we might just not have that this year. So I think it's important, know these general, guidelines but then really try to map the current adp landscape onto that and as you do more of these you'll start to get the feel of like holy cow juju smith schuster going in the 10th round is not the same as you know quentin johnston going in the ninth like there's such a big difference between the range of outcomes for those guys yeah because at least johnston gives you that late season upside um and yeah i think just you know to pull back uh and, and kind of go to the macro view like all of the stuff that we generally talk about with like you know you want to have this many wide receivers by this or don't draft running backs you know blah 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 uh in these rounds you know it's all that it's all because the market is generally pretty good at pricing things in certain ranges but mapping it onto this year's player pool is absolutely massive having a good feel yep. for the player pool and and what you can get later in the draft versus what you cannot get later in the draft might be like the biggest thing just understanding like oh i can get the reason the running back dead zone exists in large part is it's like you're taking miles sanders in the fifth you can get like what's the difference between miles sanders in the fifth and you know if you're getting jk dobbins in the sixth or damian pierce in the sixth or you can go down you know like cam Akers in the eighth or ninth like yeah there's a little more risk there but what's the production going to be when you hit on that pick is it really any different you know so it's more about like just thinking through what can I get here that I can't get later. And in wide receivers, as we look through kind of the four through nine range, I think solid production, late season upside, you know, a lot of that like pedigree, a lot of that is not available later anymore. So you, you want to be pretty strong through those first nine rounds generally. And maybe even eight if the market decides it's eight now. And then again, not to jump us forward, too much too because i do think this is going to dry up quickly if you are you know pushing it a little bit at wide receiver you do still have a teeny bit of a safety net and that there are a lot of these rookie wide receivers who i think are still 
you can say whether they're mispriced um, right now or whether you think they won't be mispriced, but I feel very confident that a lot of these second year wide receivers are going to move up. And so knowing like, Hey, I can grab a Marvin Mims. I can grab a Jaden Reed, a Mingo, a Rashi Rice. Um, that's giving me a little bit more flexibility, but I know in about a month or so, those ADPs are going to be hyper efficient and they're all going to get pushed up in a way. You're just going to have to play within these general rules we're talking about. And I would say this is not a very good wide receiver class. So like while right. I have been ahead of the market on Mingo and Rice, that's partly because I completely agree that their ADPs are going to be moving up. And I think, you know, with second round draft capital, they are pretty good picks. And like the 13, 14 round range, like I definitely want to be in there. And even like the 12th, you know, but if if they're going to be drafted in the ninth, 10th, then give me that seventh round wide receiver, man. <laughs> So yeah, the, the player pool again is, is so massive about, you know, in terms of how you're making these decisions. Let's go to, so let's go to the early double digit rounds where mm-hmm. uh, running back, I think has traditionally become very interesting again. Now, as that, that dead zone kind of gets split and no one drafts anyone, any running backs there, I think you do have some harder decisions to make in the seventh, eighth, ninth as well, because there's a higher quality level of running back in those rounds than there has traditionally been. So saying things like, oh, there aren't, you know, you know, spike weeks aren't that great in the late single digit rounds of running back. Like, well, maybe not this year, you know, because there's going to be some higher upside guys, guys who like starting out of the gate, you know, have decent job security, have okay profiles. Um, So that's definitely a range where if you need a running back three, you know, and you're grabbing them in the, the eighth round, I think that's totally cool. If you need a running back two and you want to grab him in the, the sixth or seventh round, you know, that's like traditionally been the tail end of the dead zone and this ADP environment, totally fine. Uh, your first, first running back and a zero running back build, obviously totally fine. Um, but as we get into, you know, the nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 range, that's when you start to get like to the last call for running backs with like really interesting profiles the type of guys who might be contingency bets, but if they get, if the contingency play happens, they're going to be smashes, not just committee types. Um, some of the more interesting rookies traditionally have been in this part of the draft. So thoughts on the early double digits. Yeah. And it is interesting too, because we're, we're obviously talking about this and best ball mania has only been open for what, like nine or 10 days now. And so a lot of shuffling's happening, but like when I look at like nine through 11 or 12 right now, it actually looks like, your typical prime range for zero running back targets. You got kind of like lead backs on bad teams. You got, you know, good backs uh, or split back fields on good teams. You got the rookies who are, you know, you got the A-chains and the Kendra Millers, the Roshans getting pushed up. So I really like this range a lot. And again, kind of thinking about cliffs, like I'm looking at through around 11, like you go from like Roshan and Kendra Miller, like down to Kendrick, or uh, Jarek McKinnon and Ezekiel Elliott, like quickly. Like, and so I do think that you do need to be prioritizing your high upside running back stashes in this range, specifically if you're zero RB. Maybe you get your anchor in round six or seven, but you probably need to be hammering this range because we'll talk a lot this offseason about dead roster spots too. Like, you quickly move into dead roster spot territory with running backs, like after this sweet spot. And so, um, for a lot of builds, both anchor and zero RB, I really want to be loading up on a couple in this nine through 12 range. Yeah. And I would say if you're going double anchor, if you go running back, running back or wide receiver, running back, running back, um, I 
I'm taking a running back in this general range. I, that my running back three is going to come from this group, and maybe even my running back four, uh, depending. You know, so I would be. There's there's not many drafts where I'm not going to take a running back in this range of the draft. And it's a big yeah, range it, of the draft, but. I, no, it's funny you use that example because that's exactly what happened to me with my, my – I took Jonathan Taylor fell to me in the mid-second, and then I took Ramondre in the mid-third, and then I took both Charbonnet and Roshan Johnson. Charbonnet at 103, Roshan at 138. That same thing being like, yeah, I got my double anchor, but this is the sweet spot of, hey, I'm going to be using JT and Ramondre's most weeks. Which one of these running backs actually has a chance to end up in my starting lineup? Well, Charbonnet or Roshan Johnson, if they take over that backfield by the end of the season. So it is a really sweet spot, at least for now. Yeah, and that's exactly what can happen. I mean, the the team that I had last year uh, was Eckler, Saquon, and Ramondre. Ramondre takes over the backfield, and Ramondre was round 10. So I drafted early enough before his ADP went up. And so it's like the exact same thing where it's like, well, what if Charbonnet emerges over the second half of the season. It's not that he has to come out of the gate and be dominant, um, but you, what you're getting there in an RB3 is someone who, if it happens, it could happen in a big way. It could happen with some serious upside, a guy you need, the, the league winner, all that type of stuff. Generally, they're not as common later on, and you're taking on way more dead roster spot risk, uh, as you mentioned, and, and we'll we'll cover that when we get to the end of the draft. This is also somewhat of like an interesting situation at, for tight end picks. I also think this part of the draft, well, I'll get to quarterback in a second, but what are your thoughts? Like tight end here is sort of tough because yeah. there's some guys that I like, like Njoku and Fryermuth, but I've also wondered like, are they, are they actually going to, are they just advance rate plays? Do they have enough of a ceiling? Njoku maybe does if, if Watson's doing his thing, but um, I've been, I've, kind of been like up and down about what to do in this range of the draft. And traditionally we have seen some of like the bigger disappointments at tight end come from here. Yeah. Um, I'm with you. Uh, for some reason, I've been drafting a lot of Pat uh, Fryermuth lately. I feel like he like slides past ADP. And one other thing that I use as a tiebreaker, because I'm not drafting a lot of early elite QBs right now, I'm often breaking ties in favor of guys who have backdoor stacks available, just mm. trying to give myself outs. And so if I'm always deciding between a guy like, you know, uh, Pat Fryermuth or, you know, Dawson Knox or whatever. It's like, well, I don't have access to Josh Allen. I'm not getting the stacking benefits. So I am breaking ties in favor of some of those guys that I don't mind backdoor stacking, but I'm with you for the most part. It feels like a little bit of a trap range. I think the other consideration I have is I'm always thinking, I really hate doing three tight end builds. I really don't like in an 18 round contest at a onesie position at the lowest scoring position using three spots on it. And so I'm always trying to say, what's the latest I can grab my tight end one and still real realistically have just a two tight end build. So I would say those are the kind of two considerations that sometimes get me to pull the trigger in that range. Um, where being like, Hey, if I do Friar maybe I come back at another guy in the 13th, 14th, and I can still justify just a solid two tight end build. Yeah, that's a good uh, thing to bring up here because this is like this is the spot of the draft where two running or sorry two quarterback versus three quarterback and two tight end versus three tight end is is being decided. What you do here is going to end up deciding if you need to add that extra position or not. And I agree. I think this is like the last spot where you can do two tight end builds. If you get like Njoku and Fryermuth, I think you're totally fine to oh, do. Yeah two tight ends, even if you do Njoku and I don't know, you come back and get uh Dulcich maybe or something like that. Um, tight end gets kind of gross. Schultz, 
Schultz would be fine if you wanted to go him with uh, with the Njoku. Um, but quarterback, this is also a spot where, you know, it's kind of traditionally been last call for quarterbacks with legit upside and not just rushing upside because that's getting harder and harder to find later in the draft, but the pocket passers who can blow up guys who you want to have stacked with multiple options. Those guys are generally not available in like round 14 plus. It's not that they're never available. Goff was going uh, past that. You know, he was a late, like a true late round pick last year. Um, Gino wasn't even drafted last year. So there's, there are some options, but it's a little harder to find. And if you want to look at kind of like your advance rate stuff, you, it, it is helpful generally to have uh, two quarterbacks through this part of the draft. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, like I said, I've just been living in this range a little bit just because of um, how my exposures have shook out. Um, I do think you are because of the enthusiasm for guys like Anthony Richardson uh, right now, you are starting to get like Dak Prescott and Tua and even Daniel Jones at a bit of a discount. So I am liking this range. And then otherwise I am just, I'm really only thinking about stacking. You know, if I have the Jefferson or Addison Kirk becomes on the radar. If I have any of the Broncos wide receivers, Russ is on the radar. If I have Garrett Wilson, Rogers becomes on the radar. And I'm basically being like, I'm stacking these guys up or selecting them at a huge value. Like I took Rogers today on stacked at pick 127. He has an ADP of 103.5 and I hadn't selected a quarterback yet. So it's like, I either want a big value or I want the correlation boost. Otherwise, so many of these guys are the same to me. And Rodgers is a guy who, because he got all of his buddies to sign with the Jets, you can actually backdoor stack pretty easily yep. and go get Lazard. You know, you can get McCole Hardman, who's not one of his buddies, unfortunately. But um, <laughs> I don't know if I'm drafting Cobb, but like you, you guess you could. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can. He, you're not going to have naked Rodgers, even if you you take him, uh, you know, unstacked to that point. But let's let's talk stacking generally because this is like you know we're through you know we're kind of in that like nine through twelve range and you know you probably want to have some kind of stacking built into your draft at this point. How would you like have generally approached stacking to this point in the draft? And then as you said, you're trying to pair up your quarterbacks here. But any other thoughts on stacking in this range? Yeah, I think. You know, one of the things where I always am sympathetic, if you're only doing like five to 10 drafts, like I do really think you should live a little and go get the guys you want. And Sean Siegel always talks about this too. He's like the ultimate crusher at drafting. Like you want to draft fun teams, like draft the players you're excited to draft. If you want to chase Anthony Richardson up because you're only doing a handful, go for it. But I think most people who listen to this, most people who watch ship chasing, they're volume drafters. And I do think one of the things about doing a ton of drafts is it really does allow you to practice patience. And so in my head, and I was using that example with my Jalen Hurts, Dallas Goddard, you know, thing there is like, I'm trying to push it and build super teams. And so I really try to approach things with a lot of patience. Sometimes you end up in fringe spots where it's like, okay, it's only seven to eight picks ahead of ADP. Like stop being cute, just go get the guy. But for the most part, I really do think and we use this as a cliche now, correlation as a tiebreaker, week 17 as a tiebreaker. But it's like anytime you can use that as a tiebreaker, you're getting it in good. And the reason I think you think about that is because we're constantly weighing the pros and cons of ADP value is really important. No dead roster spots are important. Correlation is important. There's all these things that are important. And you can make cases for and against reaching and stacking through the lens of those other things we're trying to accomplish. So as long as you're always using it as a tiebreaker and breaking slight ties in favor of that, 
I think you're really going to end up with really strong teams in that regard. I don't know if that fully answers what you were you were saying. No, no, I think yeah, you want to be you want to be breaking ties to correlation I think throughout the draft. And I would say don't get like hyper focused on I took CD Lamb so this is going to be a Dak stack. You know, it might be a Dak stack, but what if Dak goes ahead of ADP? You don't, and you don't want to have to reach, and and they don't, you don't want your whole draft to be about, oh God, I can't get sniped on Dak, right? One way to avoid doing that is, you know, you can you can take a a Packer, you take Christian Watson, right, and then you later in the draft, you know, okay, if I get sniped on Dak, I always can tackle on Jordan Love, and Jordan Love's someone who I I can get Jaden Reed later, I can get Romeo Dobbs later, I can add some some Packer stuff to that. Maybe even as you're going, Aaron Jones falls to you at a little bit of a value. And so you're like, Hey, I'll grab Aaron Jones. Now I've got this Packers thing. That's actually kind of coming together. And then you end up getting Dak, 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 go, you know, gets to you. You can tackle on Brandy cooks, maybe tackle on Michael Gallup, but you already have this green Bay thing. That's kind of naturally come together. And, you know, you get sniped on Jordan love. So you don't end up with Jordan love, but you, you had, uh, Damian Pierce, let's say, is there your second running back, and you you have uh, you you grab Nico Collins and you get C.J. Stroud, and you've got a Dak Stroud with a Green Bay stack built into it that doesn't have the quarterback, but you've got some additional correlation. So to me, I'm like, I'm always just thinking about correlation. Like, oh, I've already have this player, I can tackle on this player. You know, if once we have the schedule, I've got this player, I'm going to tackle on this player from the other game. One thing you can do once we have the schedule is, you've got three players from a team. You got sniped on the quarterback, but you already took a player from the opposite game to get that week 17 correlation, thinking you'd get the quarterback from the team you had three. Well, you didn't, but you can always take the quarterback from the other team and you still have that game stack working in your favor. Uh, plus, if the if the team where you had three crushes all season, you're going you're gonna to put up a lot of points. So I, I just think give yourself options throughout the draft. That's that's the the way I like to do correlation. Yeah, and I do think, and I assume most people watching this have already read it, but your post about you know basically taunting and begging people to snipe your QB, <laughs> I think once you come to peace with that, like once you can get to the lot, and trust me, like I'm gonna stream a lot of drafts, I'm going to tilt in the moment, but it, you know, when you really back up, if you can be post tilt about it and realize you're still getting the correlation benefits, and you can only put one quarterback score in your lineup each week anyways. The whole goal of correlation is to eliminate the number of things you got right. I mean, King Capital on his team last year, he didn't have Trevor Lawrence, but he had Evan Ingram and Zay Jones at really low prices, and he hit on an undervalued offense, and that little mini got him on that. He did the same thing with Nico Collins and Damian Pierce. It wasn't that Nico Collins was a smash, but that little bet on a cheap offense ended up yielding big returns. And so this morning when I draft, uh, you know, uh, Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman, and I'm setting up for my first Anthony Richardson share and Spag snipes me at fucking pick 65, you know, am I tilting out loud? But deep down inside, I say, you know what? I'm still getting the benefits of Richardson, you know, boosting this offense's output. And I'm going to stack up other teams here as well. So just don't, don't let it uh, derail you from a good draft just because you don't get it exactly how you dial it up. Yeah, and I was uh, looking at the DraftKings million-dollar lineup uh, today, and it's a weird lineup. It's not the type of lineup that I would recommend like taking a ton of lessons from uh, personally. But one of the things that is interesting about it is that it had Kenneth Gainwell, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, and it did not have Jalen Hurts. So you have A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, and not Hurts. It's pretty weird, 
But if that team had Hurts, it probably doesn't win the million, right? Because Hurts got hurt. So, you know, actually having the Eagles without Hurts, as long as you got to week 17, was optimal. And this team did have that. Uh, he had a Russ to Judy as his only other stack. So, again, probably not the lineup I would be uh, looking at, like, the most for lessons. But that is one of the lessons I would take from it is, hey, kind of nice, actually, that you had the Eagles stacked without Hurts. It actually made you live in a situation that you otherwise would not have been live in. And I sometimes, and I get, I realize this is moving past like 101 and thinking about the different levels to it, but I do, I do sometimes think about, um, you know, a lot of the advance rate work and the best ball manifesto, like what it's helping us do is get toward an optimal construction. Optimal does not mean it wins, right? And I think that's the thing that you need to, and figure out how can you bend these optimal things in not dumb ways, right? Like if you only took one tight end and you took that tight end in the 16th round, that's probably a dumb way to try to get unique because we know yeah. optimal strategies is going to need to get us some tight end points in our lineup. But I do think we need to be careful because I really like the data because it points me in the right direction and then allows me to get creative within that. And I think that's, you know, something that'll be interesting because a lot of times I'll post stuff and be like, well, this doesn't do exactly what's optimal. And it's like, well, yeah, because if we all draft exactly optimal teams and a lot of the field is drafting optimal teams, then then what's being optimal is of no use to you. It's not actually helping you climb to the top of the leaderboards. Yeah, and I think thinking creatively is like, why is this idea? Because when you say optimal, you mean we're trying to draft teams that have the highest expected value the day that we draft them. Then a bunch yeah. of things are going to shake out because optimal ideally would mean that it wins. But, you know, we can't we can't control that. We can only control what you do in that draft. But I think thinking through things creatively and, you know, talking about, you know, getting running back, running back, uh, but not with your first two picks going wide receiver, running back, running back. To me, in certain situations from certain parts of the board, I'm treating that like it is a classic RB, RB start. Or what if you take a tight end in the early seventh round? Is that an elite tight end start? If it's Kyle Pitts because he fell way past ADP, hell yes, it is. It doesn't matter to me that he got, you know, he wasn't in the fifth round, which is technically, you know, when you're supposed to take the last round of elite tight end or whatever. So just like deciding within your draft what structure this kind of really is, even if it doesn't meet the technical definitions and what lessons from these structures you're then going to layer on. Um, I think is an important thing to do. That is not 101, though. So we no, have gone not, past. <laughs> Let's move to uh, the late rounds here. Um, so in the late rounds, I think we're generally looking at, let me just uh, summarize, I think, my thoughts. Uh, curious for yours. The quarterbacks are generally now looking at job security issues or a real lack of upside. Uh, at running back, we're starting to get to some kind of older veterans who haven't signed yet, some guys who are like real shaky to even have a role, some of the lesser rookies uh, at wide receiver. You do still have some veterans that are like super unsexy, but might run routes. You've got some some rookie wide receivers available in this part of the draft. You've got guys with real job security issues um, who maybe have a little bit more upside. And then tight ends, uh, you've got some rookie tight ends here. You've got uh, guys who are uh, pretty shaky in terms of their roles. Um, you know, your Mike Tosikis, your Hunter Henrys, those types. Uh, you've got some second-year tight ends here as well. Um, 
but generally, yeah, I think you're obviously it's a late round. So there's not anything in any position that you're like super psyched about, but of, of all those gross options I just laid out, what, what kind of jumps out to you as targets? Yeah, it's, it's tough. Like I was saying, I mean, when I get there late, um, there just aren't a ton of these guys that we, we normally like, I think back to the rookie year when it was like Lance and Zach Wilson, and obviously those guys busted, but those guys were, well, Lance got pushed up eventually, but a lot of those guys were available late in cheat for a long time. And you could at least tell yourself a story of these guys having some upside there this year. That's not the case. All the guys that are late are kind of the guys where we already know who they are. We know who Jimmy Garoppolo is. We know who Matthew Stafford is. We know who Kenny Pickett is. Like even these guys I like, like Sam Howell, I I'm, you know, I've open eyes and know even when I'm right, I'm getting maybe three to four rounds of value on where I'm taking them. I'm not getting a top five quarterback. And one thing I would say that has changed my perspective this year is that idea of dead roster spots. And I think I played a little too fast and loose with it in years past. And I think the best way to think through the lens of dead roster spots is what do I win when I'm right? You know, if Sam Howell is the starter, you know, okay, yeah, he's going to move up two to three rounds for sure. He'll be like a 14th or 15th round pick, but is that really worth taking on the risk of him being a dead roster spot with me taking him in the 17th? Probably not. And I think you can apply that lens to other positions too, even like backup running backs. It's like, okay, if Zach Evans on the Rams wins the backup running back job over Kyron Williams, that's great, but he's going to move from maybe being undrafted to like a 15th, 16th round pick where say Jalen Warren is going. And so that's one thing I'm really thinking about with these quarterbacks is, you know, I really would prefer to just be grabbing the guys that I know what I'm going to get. Like Matthew Stafford with Cooper cup. I know what I'm getting there. Jimmy Garoppolo with Devonte Adams. And so if I'm prioritizing stacking and I'm prioritizing job security, at least early on in this drafting window, I think you're going to be doing all right. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I've honestly been kind of a, a, a little bit of a FUD uh, spewing FUD on, on Sam Howell and stuff, but it is because of that job security issue and the dead roster spot issue. And I would say, you know, if you're trying to figure out if you've been taking on too much risk for dead roster spots, just look up how much Will Fuller you had last year. Uh, and I had a bunch. You yeah, know, I had a bunch of Will Fuller. So if I can look at that, obviously I was taking on, on too much risk on a guy who has not played uh, a single snap since I drafted a bunch of them. I think the, be the best ball manifesto showing the just the pain of those dead roster spots, you know, is is one of the big takeaways for me. It's a takeaway at quarterback where a guy like Kenny Pickett. I mean, Kenny Pickett's starting. You know, Jordan loves starting. Matthew Stafford. We have the elbow injury, uh, elbow injury stuff. Uh, you know, that adds a little bit more risk. But he has the type of profile that I think, like, if that wasn't an issue at all. You know, he might be more of like a 11th round pick. I mean, he actually does have some upside as a pocket passer. Um, so, yeah, I think those guys are kind of the dudes to target. Bryce Young, CJ Stroud will be starting out of the gate. Uh, I think they're they're in the mix, but I don't yeah. really want to be taking on that job security risk at quarterback. It's one reason that I'm actually, I think, maybe more open than you are to the late round tight ends is that I can at least get guys who I feel like will have jobs, you know, Um particularly like a, a Jelani Woods, I think will, or an Irv Smith, you know, what are they going to do? Like they have to play Irv Smith now. Right. So you have guys there. That's like, maybe this dude helps me advance. Maybe my elite tight end misses a few weeks. Um, and this guy helps me get through. Maybe he catches two touchdowns in the, in the right week, um, pulls an Evan Ingram, that type of thing. So uh, those guys, because of that, that job security, 
guys like Van Jefferson, you know, Van Jefferson's going to play a lot. He's kind of the Zay Jones archetype from last year. That's a gross archetype, but you know, I, it's like if you're hitting singles in this round, in these rounds, but you're hitting consecutive singles like that in itself becomes a home run, just not getting the dead roster spots. Um, but this is also a spot where I would say stacking, you know, break ties towards stacking. If you've got Jordan Love, get Jaden Reed, you know. Uh, so stacking, I think, in these in these spots, and once we are able to game stacking, um, at this point becomes maybe even more than a tiebreaker because the the positional rankings are so flat. Yeah. And one thing that I was just crystallizing in my head as we talked about it and thinking about how the ADP landscape can shift things year to year and is, you know, if we think the quarterbacks are slightly overpriced and some of those elite tight ends are slightly underpriced, it means I'm going to have way more two tight end builds because I'm taking one of those elite tight ends. And it means I'm going to have way more three quarterback builds because I'm fading some of the really pricey tags. And maybe if the ADPs change, that could like flip a bit. But the reason, and if, if we are doing one-on-one, it's because I really do not want to ever be doing three quarterbacks and three tight end builds in the 18th round format. I think it was much more viable big board when you had 20 rounds. Now I think six spots, a third of your draft spots to two onesies position. I just think that's that's too much. And so I think I'm going to be overweight two tight ends, three quarterbacks relative to the opposite just because of how the ADP landscape is shaking out right now. That's a really good point. Yeah. I do not want to be 3-3 three, three builds with those onesie positions because we saw over the last couple years that these late round picks have had pretty big impacts in the playoff weeks. Um, Jeff Wilson, Amon Ross St. Brown were both huge for Liam Murphy's team uh, two years ago. KJ Hamler had a spike week for uh, Herzig in the best ball mania, um, best ball mania one win. So you, you definitely, and Hamler, obviously a late round pick. Uh, I had Mostert come through for me in the late rounds uh, Tyquan Thornton came from came through for me in week 17. So like you really, although your odds of hitting on any of these picks are low and yep. your odds of hitting on, you know, several of them are also very low. You're probably going to need to do that. You're probably going to need to hit on guys who are doing something in the fantasy playoffs uh, because odds are, Someone in this general range and probably multiple people will. And those guys, because there's not much happening here, those guys will then power teams through the playoffs. Um, and so I don't think you want to waste any of these picks. You want to you want that extra lotto ticket because that lotto ticket could be what gets you in the week 17 final. Yep. A hundred percent. And it, it'll be, it'll be curious to see if anything changes the quarterback landscape. I know we were kind of having this debate on ship chasing the other night, kind of as it pertains to those running backs, because this is the only thing I struggle with is we all agree that those running backs are offering a lot of value in round three, but I still look at the board and I'm like, who are these guys collectively flipping? I could see a single one of them, say the Pollard steam gets going or the Ramondre, but them all collectively moving up. If I don't think the quarterbacks are, are jumping down, I'm like, we might just have a really nice pocket at the two, three turn, like throughout all of draft season with those running backs. It just might be what it is. Yeah, I think that that could definitely be the case. Um, and I think you want to be, to some extent, like if you're drafting, 
maybe this is like 201, but if you're drafting all year, I think you want to be thinking through the draft in that way of what what is going to change? What's going to be different? What is drafting now? Give me that drafting later will not, right? So like I talk about what does this round give me that I can't find later in the draft? What is drafting on May 8th give me that drafting on September 8th uh, will not or August 8th or July 8th, right? What's this period of the draft um, season giving me? Um, and and right now it does strike me that probably the ability to get a Tyreek Hill plus a running back you like plus a running back you, you really like for the third round price probably is a an element of this early part of the season. But at the same time, you know, maybe – Maybe like there's not enough guys to jump up and maybe it, and it, it sits there all year. But I would say like, think through that at least think through which side of the fence that you're on with that, because you do want to probably make some bets about how ADP shifts, at least from kind of a macro perspective. Yeah. And I would say I would want, you know, for the most part, I would prefer to be making those bets on like the value side too. Cause I do see a lot of people sometimes galaxy brain, you know, uh, I'm going to reach for this guy and try to get this combo that a lot of people won't have. And it's like, this contest is only 5% filled. So much of it is left to go. There's going to be a lot of things that shuffle up the draft board. You're probably just sacrificing value and going to land on a combo that another drafter is going to have access to at some point in this offseason, at least at the top of the board. So it's like, I want to, if I'm doing it through value, like this guy's slipping and that's how I'm getting my uniqueness. Absolutely. But if you're taking like Bijan 101, to try to get a unique combo with him at the two, three turn. That's where I think you can start to get in trouble. Yeah. Cause honestly, yeah, he might not be going too much lower than that by the end. Yeah. Um, one thing on the late rounds with that seasonal element in mind is that you, you mentioned today, you took Kenny Pickett as a quarterback three on a team where you might not have taken a third quarterback. Yeah. And I think it's pretty interesting to think through, okay. Yeah he probably didn't need to go three quarterback there. And Kenny Pickett's certainly not an upside spike week guy in the playoffs, but you know, maybe Pickett helps you advance. You had Bryce Young and Pickett and an elite quarterback. Uh, and maybe he helps you advance. And then you, the elite quarterback had a low advance rate because he got hurt for part of the year and, and he powers you through. And obviously that's a little gal brain, but this time of year, that quarterback is much less likely to be a dead roster spot than True. someone else in that range. And it's Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett is starting for the Steelers all season. They're not going to bench their first round pick unless he's absolutely got awful. Right. And I do think, and we've talked about this a little bit, like both of us love doing zero RB builds, but it's a little harder to do right now because we don't for sure know who is second on the depth chart for the Rams. Like knowing if that's Kyron Williams or Zach Evans, that's going to be very helpful information come mid August. And you're going to be able to make much better bets then. And so it is tilting me to, you know, we both love Chuba. Chuba is a guy I feel pretty strongly has that number two role locked up and you're getting him as if it's ambiguous. But for the most part, some of these late round dart throws, as much as I love a guy like Pierre strong, I'm not confident about his positioning on the Jeff chart right now in the way I think we will be more so in August. And so I think that should push you toward, and this is your counter argument for doing say more like tight end three builds is like, we know these guys are going to be on the field and they're starting tight end. Same with the quarterbacks too. And so that's the other thing about, we all like the structures um, that are most comfortable to us or that feel the best, but you can also 
change your structures and be like heavy zero RB later in the season than you are now yeah. still knowing you're going to get your zero RB drafts in. Like I know I, I will, especially if the running backs start to get pushed up with more information. And so just because you're doing a structure a lot now, like I have a lot of three QB builds right now, that doesn't mean I'm locked into that for all of drafting season. And you can do that with players too. Like I was pretty out on Mike Evans when he was going like the early second round in the very beginning of draft season. Uh, he actually went on the on my team that won. He went before my second round pick when I took Saquon Barkley, but I would have passed on him. And I know I would have, and that would have really hurt uh, given that I ended up building a Brady team and Evans went off in week 17. My thinking was, hey, Evans is going to drop once Godwin's price came up. He never dropped as much as I thought. And I ended up being underweight on Evans, but I did I did force myself to draft more of him later, right? So you can go. I'm gonna I'm gonna bet that this guy falls. I was wrong. He didn't really fall. Um, okay, well then I can reach a little relative to what I think the value is, or I can maybe even reach a little bit relative to his ADP to make sure I'm not completely underweight on a guy that I don't want to be full faded on. So this is a long draft season. You can adjust your bets as you go. Um, and you can reevaluate kind of where you stand on structures, on players as you go. And the, one of the beauties about the way the contests are released, like we all, you know, underdog can pull levers to make sure that best ball mania is open for the duration of the summer. One of the levers they pull dropping a puppy right now, we have a puppy draft out. It's already almost what I'm checking right now. 30, 30% full right <laughs> now. That, that thing is going to probably be filled within another week or two, like maybe 10 days at max. That is going to be a, a snapshot in time of the ADP landscape. So if you want to push a very specific edge in that window, that's fine. Whereas with Best Ball Mania, if you go all in on one strategy and say you use all your bullets, the landscape could change and yeah. other people could be getting more optimal drafts or structures in later and so i think it's much more viable to be like super aggro with a player take or a structure in the shorter time frame windows i i like that thought all right that uh that covers our maybe 301 uh best ball mania or <laughs> best ball best ball draft lesson here uh we we did some basics we did some some final frontier level takes it was a nice mix uh pete tell the people about all the things you got going on uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I apologize if, if hopefully though we whetted the appetite and there are lots of, of resources, uh, kicking around, uh, hop in Pat's discord, hop in the deposit kingdom discord, all kinds of places. To Check talk out your ball. deposit kingdom. You've done some incredible, really entertaining videos on a lot of this stuff. So, uh, Go to the yeah. YouTube channel there. Yeah, I should say, like, if maybe this was zooming past you or you want some reference points, I did, Pat, reference a couple of the videos. I basically did three videos last year that I consider pretty evergreen. One was called Zero RB and the Secrets to Best Ball, just looking at the basic structures. The other one was on week 17. And obviously, things have shifted a little bit this year, but a lot of the same principles remain. And it's basically, how do you think through your best ball lineups, through almost a DFS lens where you're trying to optimize for a single week in week 17. What are the ways you can accomplish that? And then also just the general player archetypes to target. And one of those are rookies because they continue to rise in value. So those will help you. And then check out the video about Pat's team and about King Capital's team. It's my most recent video. It again is kind of a good high level overview of like, these are good checkpoints you should be thinking about structurally, the type of players you're, you're targeting. I think it'll get you in the, in the frame of mindset to draft well. Nice. All right. Well, uh, if you're listening to this, you probably know you can get a $50 credit by signing up $50 underdog credit. Uh, I should note 
uh, by signing up for legendaryupside.com. But uh, in case you haven't heard, go to legendaryupside.com slash early. You sign up there, you get $30 off your first year. Uh, then fill out a form so that I have your username and I can send it over to Underdog. The link for uh, the page with the form will be in the description of this podcast and in the YouTube description. Uh, and then you can get you'll get fifty dollars added to your Underdog account. So pretty pretty crazy good deal. Uh, those are limited though. So if you're if that intrigues you, do it soon before I run out of credits to give out. Mm-hmm. Um, and also uh, leave a rating and review on the podcast. Like subscribe. Do all the things. Uh, these are new channels. All that stuff helps a lot. But yeah, Pete, thanks so much, man. Yeah, and I will say, if anyone's watching this and missed it, Pat and I did do an opening night stream for Best Ball Mania on my channel. Um, it, I bet it'll already be a trip to go back and see some of the ADPs that have already changed so much in just like eight or nine days. So I recommend uh, checking that out. Uh, that's, a good, that's a good one. All right, we'll see you guys later. Peace.